As I was saying Mass last night, I realized that this is the first Sunday that we've worn green in a while. In fact, I got to thinking about it, and I think the last time we were wearing green was before any of these terrible times started happening. You know, it was before the coronavirus stuff. It was before the George Floyd stuff. It was before the police stuff. It was before the riot stuff. You know, all of this craziness has really, it hasn't been that long. It's just been a couple of months, but it seems like it's been forever. And so I was thinking it seems like it's been forever since I wore green, but we're back, you know? And... And in these times when there's all of this fear and strangeness and doubt and anxiety, the readings today are particularly, particularly applicable to it. When, when we're looking at them, we can see that just on the text itself. But then if we start digging, you know, Scripture, it has layers. You know, and any time I say something has layers, I can't help but think of Shrek, right, and how... You know, like an onion, it has layers, you know. Anyways, but scripture, it has so many layers. So, yeah, we start with what the text itself says. But then we ask more questions. A good commentary can help us with this. So, what kind of literature are we reading? Who is the author and what was their situation when they wrote it? And to whom are they writing? So today... When we start digging, we find that that gives us a so much deeper and more profound picture of what's going on. So let's start with the first reading, with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not a happy character. He's had a bit of a rough go of it in this life. He's of the priestly tribe, but he was never called to minister in the temple. And unlike many of the other prophets that we hear about in the Bible, he was never a member of the royal court. And to top it all off, when God called him to prophetic service, the message that God wanted him to proclaim, it wasn't like, yay, everything's happy. It was, you need to change your ways or you're going to be destroyed. So, you know, Jeremiah, he had this great job in front of him. Today's reading comes at the culmination of that mission. The people of Judah had not listened to Jeremiah. They had not changed their ways. They kept doing what they were doing. And so, as a result, the Babylonians were on the way to conquer Jerusalem for the last time. Well, it wasn't the last time Jerusalem was conquered, but it was definitely the last time Jerusalem had a king. And so God gave Jeremiah one last message. Maybe they'll listen to this one. And the message was this. Submit to Babylon and trust that I'll get you through this. It did not go over well. The people of Jerusalem did not want to do that, and so they didn't. So this is where we find Jeremiah today. He's in a dark place. He's been rejected He's receiving very poor treatment from his fellow Jews. If I remember correctly, at some point they throw him down a well, you know, and he only survives by the grace of God. But unlike those other Jewish people, Jeremiah has done something they haven't. 
He's placed his trust in God, and he continues to praise God despite everything. We hear at the end of our first reading today his prayer. To you I have entrusted my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has rescued the life of the poor from the power of the wicked. As we look through the readings, we now come to Psalm 69. It's a psalm of great lament, and it's attributed to King David. Now, if you look at King David's life, he has a few things he can lament about. For example, before he was even the king in Jerusalem, Saul chased him around the countryside trying to kill him. David felt betrayed because he had done all of these good things for Saul. And he was running for his life, so he could have written it then. Or maybe he wrote it a little later, after he was the king, when his son Absalom decided to steal the throne from him. Then he stole all of his wives, and then he took over the city of Jerusalem and all of the kingdom. And David was again betrayed and running for his life. He had a lot of things he could lament about. And so if you read the entirety of Psalm 69, we see that it's just this psalm of deep, deep sorrow. It's called to mind a couple of times during Christ's life as well. For example, when he is on the cross and they give him that sponge soaked with gall, that's a reference to Psalm 69, where it says, They gave me gall for my food and vinegar to drink. It's the life of Christ, but it's also the life of so many people before him. But note how the psalm progresses. The only way forward through any of these horrifying tribulations that come upon us is to trust God and to praise him. David writes, For the Lord hears the poor, and his own who are in bonds he spurns not. So let the heavens and the earth praise him, the seas and whatever moves in them. Even Paul's letter to the Romans has this kind of a background to it. To set the scene, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to bitterly divided Christians in Rome. There are two factions in Rome. There are the Jewish Christians and there are the Gentile Christians. And they're very upset with each other. They basically hate each other. Does that sound familiar? Two factions fighting over control that hate each other? It sounds familiar to me. The Jewish Christians are upset because the Gentile Christians have worshipped idols in the past and they did all these bad things, and they're frankly late to the party. The Gentile Christians are upset because the Jewish people never shared the scriptures with them, and they're saying, how can you hold us accountable for our sin if we didn't know any better? So Paul is writing to this divided community. And what does he say? He says, you're both wrong. You both have a point, but you're missing the big picture. Sin is universal. It came into the world through Adam. And because sin came into the world, death came into the world. But if we just recognize that physical death came into the world, we're still missing the picture. Because the much more important thing we need to know about is that spiritual death came into the world. That is sin. Both the Jewish and the Gentile Christians were missing that point, that they had to change their ways so that they could break free of these shackles of sin and of death. 
Paul reminds these communities towards the end of today's reading, though, of the gift that they have been given, the gift of redemption by Christ Jesus who conquered sin and shattered the power of death. The answer to the conflict is simple. Trust God and praise him. And we can do this because of the great gift that he gave us. Because, Paul writes, the gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow for the many? So now, with this background, with this context, with this deeper understanding of our readings, we approach the gospel And Jesus speaks to all of these things. Because what does he say? Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You see, too often we fear the things of this world. As if the power of the things of this world actually matter when it comes to the matters of our eternal reward. They don't. We shouldn't go looking for trouble But at the same time, when we proclaim the truth of God in our words and our actions, when we do it from the housetops, as Jesus tells us to in the gospel, we should probably expect it, because the world doesn't like the message. But that doesn't mean we should fear. The only one we should fear, Christ tells us, is the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in Gehenna. Or to... rephrase it without the metaphor, St. Augustine said, the only one we should fear is the one who has the power to plunge the body and soul into the fires of hell. But right after Jesus tells us this, he reminds us that to the Father, we are worth more than many sparrows, which seems kind of obvious, but he just got done talking about how God sees these sparrows. Like you get two for basically a penny is what he was saying. You can get two for this small coin, right? They're worthless. And yet, not one of them falls to the ground without God. If you look at the Greek, it doesn't have that word knowledge in there. It just says, without God. It's as if God is even present in a sparrow, this worthless little thing. And if God cares that much about a sparrow, how much more is he going to care about us? Because God, he never died for a sparrow, but he died for you and for me. The only one who we should fear just so happens to be the one who loves us the most. And so that shows us the way forward to get past fear, to get past pain, to get past suffering through betrayal. The way forward is love. Because St. Augustine teaches us perfect love casts out all fear. And our fear grows less as we draw nearer toward the land which we are advancing. What he's saying is, as we get closer to heaven, as we get closer to God with the way that we live our lives, there's less fear because God becomes a source of perfect love for us. We become 
receivers and transmitters and channels of that love of God that shatters fear. And so this leaves us with a choice. Are we going to strive to seek God in all things? Or will we succumb to the things of this world? Will we allow fear and pain and suffering and betrayal and and all of that sort of stuff to consume us and to cause us to start to wallow in things like escapism and bodily pleasure? Or are we going to submit ourselves and all of these things in our life to God's love? We have to choose. A Trappist monk that I was reading, he wrote this, it's an extensive commentary, it's like 3,000 pages and he still has one more volume just on the Gospel of Matthew to write, you know, and his name is long too, so everything about this guy is long. Anyways, this Trappist monk commenting on today's Gospel reminds us that man, as God has created him, cannot ultimately choose a mediocre third way in the world, one that would aim at neither sanctity nor self-destruction. These are our two choices. At the end of today's gospel, Jesus reminds us to acknowledge the Father above all worldly concerns The Greek for this verse, I looked at a lot of Greek this week. (laughs) The Greek for this verse is stronger. The literal translation is something more like, declare yourself in me. And so today, Christ is calling us to declare ourselves in him, to strive to live in the love of God, to follow his will at all times to allow God to take up residence in our heart and transform us, to set us on fire with his love. And if we do that, then Christ is going to acknowledge us in front of the Father. He's going to declare himself to be in us as he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And you know... If Christ himself is living inside of us as he sits next to the creator of the entire universe in heaven, what do we have to fear? Nothing. Because God is so much more powerful than anything in this world. And so, brothers and sisters, let us strive in every moment of this life to trust God and to continue to praise him and to continue to acknowledge him before all people and all things so that our Heavenly Father can fill us with his all-conquering love.